0: Located at the northernmost end of the Adriatic Sea lies the city of Venice. Venice is truly unlike any other city in the world. It's a collection of 118 small islands, all connected by bridges and ferries. Its unique geography allowed Venice to become one of the most powerful cities in the world, both militarily and economically. Today, it remains one of the world's greatest tourist destinations. Learn more about Venice and its rise and fall on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. Unlike many cities in Italy, which have their origins in ancient Rome, Venice does not. The founding of Venice dates back to the year 421, when the Western Roman Empire was starting to fall apart. Germanic tribes and Huns from the steppes began flowing into the Italian peninsula. Roman citizens fleeing the invaders found shelter in a collection of islands located in a protected lagoon. As the invaders weren't really seafaring people, the islands turned out to provide great protection. The original inhabitants of the island primarily made their living from fishing and making salt. As things kept falling apart around them, the people on the island unified for mutual protection. The fact that the islands were not connected to the mainland made the inhabitants isolated and gave them more autonomy. They were not subject to any outside king, emperor, prince, or duke. Well, at least not directly, as we'll see in a bit. The first government of Venice was formed in 568, which was more of a standing committee with representatives from various islands. Venice, while autonomous, was still nominally under the rule of the Byzantine Emperor out of Constantinople. This rule was via the city of Ravenna, which was one of the last Byzantine outposts in Italy. The beginning of the Republic of Venice, which the world would know for the next thousand years, can be traced back to the year 697. That was when the very first Doge of Venice was elected. The Doge was the name of the leader of Venice, and it was a unique form of leadership. The Doge was an elected position, but the election was for life. The word Doge comes from the Latin word dux, which is also the origin of the word for duke. While the lifetime election of the Doge sounds a bit like a monarchy, the position of Doge was neither hereditary nor absolute, although it was much more absolute in its early days. The very first Doge who was elected was Orso Ippato. In 1751, Ravenna was captured by the Lombards from northern Italy, and the last formal link to the Byzantines was cut. Over the next several centuries, Venice grew as a maritime, naval, and commercial power. The location and geography of Venice sort of dictated its future, as it wasn't a traditional land power that used agriculture as its source of wealth. In addition to trading, they also focused on high-value manufactured goods such as glass and lace. The Venetians were pretty agnostic as to who they would do business with they traded with Italians, Byzantines, and Muslims. In 992, Venice received special trading rights with the Byzantine Empire by allowing them to have sovereignty over them again. 90 years later, in 1082, they once again achieved independence, but this time they kept the special trading rights. They achieved this from a position of power with the Byzantines now that they had such a powerful navy. Venice wasn't the only merchant city-state in Italy with a strong navy. Genoa, Pisa, Amalfi, and other small towns were all competitors with Venice. However, Venice's natural defenses gave it a level of protection that its rivals couldn't match. In the 11th and 12th centuries, Venice began controlling territory of its own, in particular along the Dalmatian coast along the Adriatic. During this time, one of the most significant doges in history was elected to power, Enrico Dandolo. Dandolo's story is unique amongst almost all leaders in world history. He came to power in 1192 at the age of 85, an age at which most leaders in the world at that time were dead. Dandolo is perhaps best known for his role in the Fourth Crusade, which he helped organize and lead. In 1201, Dandolo negotiated an agreement with the Crusaders to transport them to the Holy Land with the Venetian Navy. The problem was the Crusaders couldn't pay. Dandolo offered to defer the payment if the Crusaders helped Venice to retake the city of Zara, which is today known as Zadar, Croatia. The Crusaders were successful in taking Zara and then were called to Constantinople again for money. The Emperor Isaac II Angelos had been deposed from power, and his son Alexios IV Angelos offered the Crusaders and the Venetians a great deal. He would send troops to help fight in the Crusade, to pay off the Crusaders' debt to Venice, and he agreed to convert to Catholicism from Orthodox Christianity. All the Crusaders had to do in return was put him back in power. In 1203, the Crusaders and Dandolo kept their end of the bargain, but Alexios didn't honor his promises, so the Crusaders sacked the city. Dandolo took four bronze horses from the city, which are still at St. Mark's Cathedral in Venice today. Enrico Dandolo died at the age of 98. He rebuilt St. Mark's Cathedral, reformed the Venetian navy, and established Venice as a maritime power. They continued to grow in power and wealth. They accumulated a rather small empire, which became known as the Stato de Mar. The Stato de Mar didn't compromise a lot of land, but it was strategically important land along the Adriatic Sea, southern Greece, and certain Greek islands. By the late 13th century, Venice was unquestionably the wealthiest city in Europe. They had 36,000 sailors and 3,300 ships. They were by far the dominant force in Mediterranean commerce. One of the other reasons why Venice was successful is because they hired a relatively large number of mercenaries, which they could easily afford to do. The 13th century also saw a change in government in the Republic, it moved from widespread input by citizens to control by a small number of wealthy merchants. They fought several skirmishes with their arch-rival Genoa, which allowed them to retain their dominant position in the Mediterranean. Venice started to decline with the fall of Constantinople to the Ottomans in 1453. By the time Constantinople fell, it wasn't very powerful. But now the Venetians had to deal with the Ottomans. Venice's relationship with the Ottoman Empire was extremely complex. They fought with the Ottomans quite frequently and lost territory to them, but at the same time they traded with them and often worked with them when their interests were aligned. Things came to a head in 1571 at the Battle of Lepanto. Lepanto was a naval battle between a host of Christian states using mostly Venetian ships and the Ottomans off the coast of Greece. The Ottomans lost, which gave Venice a reprieve from their decline and a return to dominance in the Mediterranean. In the 17th century, they began to clash with the Republic of Ragusa, which was centered in the city of Dubrovnik. Ragusa reached a level of power on a par with Venice during this period. One of the geographical artifacts from this era, which still exists, is the Noom Corridor. If you look at a map, really close, you can see a very small strip of land in the country of Bosnia and Herzegovina, which reaches the sea. The Strip of Coastline is only 20 kilometers or 12 miles in length and separates Dubrovnik from the rest of Croatia. The only reason it exists is that in 1699, Dubrovnik asked the Ottomans to occupy the corridor to put a buffer between themselves and Venice so Venice couldn't attack them by land. One of the things which Venice suffered from several times over the centuries was epidemics. Because they were a merchant republic, they constantly had ships coming and going from all over the Mediterranean. The Black Death devastated Venice in 1348. They had another bout of plague in 1575 and 1577. In 1630, the Italian plague killed a full third of the population of Venice. Venice was so sensitive to disease that they created a policy where people had to spend 40 days at a hospital on the island of Lazzaretto Nuovo. This 40-day period, known in Italian as Quarenta Giorni, is the origin of the word quarantine. One of the factors which began the decline of Venice was the development of direct trade routes to Asia for spices. Venice had worked with the Ottomans to monopolize the spice trade to Europe. Once countries like Portugal could cut out Venice, they lost a huge amount of money. The discovery of the Americas brought new products into European markets that Venice had absolutely no part in. In the 18th century, Venice went into its final phase of decline. Competition reduced their commercial power, As a military power, they had dwindled down to almost nothing. At the end of the 18th century, they had only a few ships left and barely enough men to fill them. In 1797, the Republic of Venice came to an end when it was invaded by the French under the command of Napoleon Bonaparte. While Venice as an independent city-state might have been over, the city of Venice was not. It bounced between the French Kingdom of Italy, the Austrian Empire, and there was even an attempt to revive the Republic. In the end, it was merged into the unified Kingdom of Italy in 1866. By this time, Venice had lost all its strategic importance. There were many other ports that had become more important because of their proximity to industrial centers. The Suez Canal lessened the importance of middlemen like Venice to handle trade coming from Asia. While Venice lost its strategic and economic importance, it was still a historic and beautiful city. Unlike many cities in Europe, it managed to escape the Second World War without any damage. After the war, the city grew. New industries flowed into Venice, and eventually one industry dominated all others. Tourism. Venice has always been a fashionable place to visit. However, mass tourism changed everything in the city. The annual number of tourists to Venice approached 30 million people before the pandemic. Cheap flights and cruise ships made Venice into a historical amusement park. Despite the post-war increase in population to almost a quarter million people, The number of Venetians today is estimated to be only about 50,000. Most people have left the city due to the high cost of living and the fact that they can make more money by renting out their homes on sites like Airbnb. Venice has become the poster child for over-tourism. People are literally loving it to death, and this has led calls for restrictions on the number of visitors and cruise ships. The other problem facing Venice is flooding. Flooding has become a common occurrence at high tides in places like St. Mark's Square. The entire city is situated at sea level, and by that I mean literally at sea level. Most of the buildings in Venice are built on wooden stilts that sit in the water. Storm surges and extreme tides can cause water to flood the city, putting some parts as much as six feet below water. To protect the city, a system of 78 floodgates was built, which can be raised to protect the city and lagoon from rising seawater. It was used for the first time in 2020 to prevent flooding, and the entire system is expected to be complete by the year 2025. The future of Venice is being hotly debated by the people who still live there. The big question is how much should tourism be regulated, limited, or controlled? The city got a glimpse of what reduced tourism could be like during the pandemic. When tourism ground to a halt, the water in the canals actually cleared up for the first time in centuries because there were no boats stirring up sediment. Even dolphins were seen swimming in the Grand Canal for the first time in memory. Venice is an incredible city. I've been all over the world and there is nothing like Venice. The shock I had when I walked out the doors of the train station my first time there is one that many other people have experienced. And every time I've been there, I've wanted to stay for several months. And maybe that's part of the problem. If you ever get a chance to visit Venice, I can't say that you shouldn't go, because you're not going to find another city like it. It has a deep, deep history, incredible architecture, and it's just plain beautiful. The executive producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is Charles Daniel. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. Today's review comes from listener GLS504 over on Apple Podcasts in the United States. They write, Love this. I found this podcast on a recommendation, and I'm so glad I did. There's definitely something for everyone with the vast range of topics covered, and the content is enough to be sufficient on its own or as a jumping-off point for further exploration. Also, I love how massive your catalog is. My goal is to join the Completionist Club this year despite my late start. As of this date, the Ides of March. Keep up the amazing work. Well, thanks, GLS. Don't worry about your late start. You have a grand adventure ahead of you. And when the day comes that you've listened to your final episode, you shall be welcomed by all of your brothers and sisters in the Completionist Club who have come before you. Remember, if you leave a review or send me a -a boostagram, you too can have it read in the show.